Okay, welcome everyone to the Ex Andres podcast. Here, uh, Scott McClary with me. It's Schoolman Fawcett, the lowly underling at the Chesterton Academy of St. Isidore, the world's only online Chesterton Academy. And this is a classical Catholic education in podcast form. Yeah. And uh, today we are talking about something, um, it's a little unusual maybe for this topic like this, but um, I think it's, uh, it's valuable for a lot of reasons. On our last podcast, we talked about Julius Caesar. I think one of the lessons of Julius Caesar, which I closed the episode with, is to listen to the signs that maybe you're getting from above. That's Julius Caesar's problem. He keeps getting these signs from the soothsayers yes. and his wife's yes. dream, and he doesn't listen to them. Right. And uh, we may have received a sign uh, to give us a clue about what today's episode should be about. So, uh, Dr. Indeed, McClarney, indeed. headmaster of Chesterton Academy of St. Isidore, would you please yeah. tell us a, a very well, interesting story? Sure, but, sure. And, and just to contextualize, also, we, we, we talked about geopolitical realism in our episode before that. Right, yes. And so these are all connected, looking at the, the realism on the, the grand scale or geopolitical scale, mm-hmm. uh, and then at the state level, then looking at Julius Caesar, and uh, how, how people can be manipulated at the individual, the forensic level, Mm-hmm. Now, here we're kind of going back to philosophy again, but uh, speaking of, of objective realism with Rand. But all right, let's set the stage here a little bit how this talk came about. Get comfortable by the Get, fireside, everybody, because <laughs> yeah. this is a, a doozy of a tale. <laughs> well, okay, this, this happened to me a number of years ago. Uh, I was teaching at a previous site, and there happened to be construction going on, and so the parking lot was, uh, we couldn't park there. So I'd park across the street which, um, no problem, all right, park the car uh, in, in kind of by uh, some business uh, businesses, local businesses. I make my way into the school, had to cross the street. Somewhere along the line, I lost my key, or perhaps it was stolen. I, mm. I mean, that, I don't know, sure. I, I, I didn't know my key was missing until Damn. block four. So end of the day rolls around, I'm like looking for my keys, I'm like, wait a second, I don't have my car key, I have my class keys, send out a frantic email to my colleagues, has anyone seen a key, a Honda key that looks just like this? Now I happen to have lost the fob, or sorry, it was detached, the fob was mm-hmm. at home, this was just the physical key to the car, and no response came back, I said, uh oh, uh, so I had to phone my dear wife, and I said, please, my, please honey, uh, I'm going to need a ride, I can't get into my car, I can't find my car key, so um, I went outside. There it was. His car was there, but no key. Now, uh, I had the fob at home, so I asked my lovely wife to please bring the fob and pick me up and take me take me home, because I didn't want to walk. So uh, she endeared me enough, and we went, before going home, though, we went by Honda to see, well, could we get a replacement key? They said, sure, no problem. We'll give you a replacement key. It's going to be 600 bucks. However, they're closing, we're just closing in half an hour, can't do it now, come back tomorrow. I said, fine, all right, no problem, I'll be back tomorrow. So, uh, got up early the next day and driving the big van uh, to work and I'm looking over and I see, oh, lo and behold, my car is not there. And so, what oh. happened to it? And I am looking, 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 uh, well, it's obviously not there. I had to look up a bunch of phone numbers on the phone, uh, and, and one thing leads to another. Basically, no impound had it. I had to report it to the police, and so this this file began. Uh, how, where, what happened to my car? Now, this wasn't in any ordinary car. This was the very first car that I had ever purchased. Mm. It was uh, a beautiful 
in, in, in spirit, at least, uh, car. And, and it looked quite a bit of damage already on it. And it was a Honda. What, what, a Honda Civic. Paint, Honda paint Civic. us a picture. What, Honda what Civic, year? Silver, uh, uh, 2005. It, the, the back bumper was half hanging on. In fact, I had run into a um, my own vehicle, actually. Uh, and it had cracked it, uh, and then I had uh, another year I had spun into a snowbank, which was uh, like minus 30, so it was like solid. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that uh, may, may as well be ice, yeah. So, yeah. so that was another bit, that was, I think that was a front bumper that was going, and in fact, one time the bumper was hanging off, um, I just jokingly said to my, my father, hey, Dad, can you, he's, I was picking him up, he was coming into the passenger side, I said, Dad, can you fix my bumper for me? So he went back, and he just picked it up and shoved it back into the car, and then it stuck kind of well. So, so it was there. Um, all right. Um, now, this car was no ordinary car. In fact, it had been with me for quite a while. I was, that summer, this was in October when this happened, that summer I was actually declared it dead. Uh, and I, I was going to donate the car. I, if I phoned the Kidney Foundation, the car wasn't running. And said, hey, you come take this car away, and uh, you know they give you a, a tax receipt. No problem. So the guy showed up at my door with the, the nice flatbed truck, and the car was on the driveway still. And so he said, hey, can you back this onto the road so we can, like, mm. it's, yeah, sure. And he's like, well, he's like, do you have the key? Because then the, the steering wheel won't lock and off. So yeah, the key's right in the glove compartment. So he's like, all right, pass me the key. So he turned, put the key in, turned it over, and lo and behold, the car started. Wow. Okay, so uh, all of a sudden, a pool of liquid started issuing forth from underneath the belly of this car. Oh, the, the, the gentleman was kind enough to bend down and stick his finger in it and lick it, and he's like, it's fine, it's just water. I, uh, you told me that, and I still... Is, is that like... Is that professionalism to just I think stick so. your tongue I into... Think so. All right. Yeah, oh, yeah. All right. You, there's different ways of detecting chemicals, and this is certainly one way you can Well, we'll talk it. about empiricism today, possibly, yeah, but yeah, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, learning knowledge. Yes, through the yes. senses, yes. Through the senses. And... Um, all right, so he backs onto the driveway or off the driveway, and it's running. He's like, "Well, I can drive it onto the, the flatbed and take it away, or do you want to just keep it?" And I'm like, "You know what? It's running. Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll keep it." And uh, hey, you know what? What do I owe you? Because you came out, and he's like, "Nothing. Actually, I'm, I'm it's part of the, the charity uh, network, mm -hmm. so don't worry about it." I said, "Thank you so much." Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll phone you back once it dies. Sure. And, and it, you'll have So it. you were meant to keep this car, is I what think it sounds so. like. Okay. I think so. Mm -hmm. So, again, fast forward two months later, the, the day that I cannot find the car when I show up to work, where could it be? Um, now, um, another week goes by. We had to, it was a painstaking task of getting uh, videotape from different uh, mm, businesses nearby there, businesses, yeah, yeah. but we were mm -hmm. able to get some. And it turns out at 6.30 that morning, not even so. Not even the middle of the night. Not even the nope. your, you know, as Jesus said, you know, this is your hour in the power of darkness. No, yeah, it was yeah. like light was 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 the, was it the was sun still up dark. yet? It, okay, it, it was, was still quite dark. Up right. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was uh, still dark, and someone in a hoodie. I don't suspect one of my own pupils. <laughs> I, I I can't definitively say that, All but right. I don't think it looked like an adult to me. Okay, okay. Which is a great relief, um, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> so so. Another week goes by after that, and I get a call, your car has been found. I said, oh, hallelujah. Mm -hmm. uh, this is great. So I uh, show up at the impound. 
there's my car. And in fact, it fit right in. This is a, a massive complex where you have rows and rows, blo city blocks of cars that have been written off and, and dragged. My car fit in perfectly. It, lo it, I, it looked like it had been beat up, but it was actually, that was the state it was already in. So it <laughs> a fit A beautiful in. car, it, as you described. Yes, yes. it uh -huh. fit in perfectly. In. Uh -huh. Now, there's one thing, though, as I started rooting through the vehicle, realizing, because the day my wife picked me up, I did take out my, my wallet, of course, and, uh, but it turned out that missing from my back seat was $1,400 worth of library books. I'd been doing it, uh, trying to write a, um, a book on uh, the Old Testament or, or the, the Kingdom of God, and a bunch of books out on uh, kings, and I even went on the Pentateuch as well, uh, leading up to it. And this was a interlinear uh, commentary, which was published, I think, in the, the 70s. So interlinear meaning that one page would have been in English and the other one would have been in like the original language. Hebrew, yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. right, the Masoretic text. And this rabbi had some really, really interesting Commentary. Was that like the Biblia Hebraica Stugardensia? No, that no, it wasn't. Okay. It was it was a kind of a one-off series. Wow. And so, and I have not been able to find it again. Uh, so it, it's it's gone. Now, uh, I was able to work out a deal with the librarian who I knew well. So <laughs> I only had to end up paying something like eight hundred bucks for these books. However, the insurance company, and this is mm. one of the silver linings there. It's, it's a golden lining actually. Uh, the insurance company, I think, it was thirty-three hundred bucks for my Civic. Which, which uh, again, <laughs> two months earlier, I was ready to give it away uh, here for a, for a tax receipt, and here uh, I get cold hard cash from the insurance company, which was uh, much, which was great. So the fact that you lost the key didn't uh, that that, w that wasn't uh, enough for them to not give you the insurance. They didn't think this was some kind of elaborate fraud on your part, that, no, or negligence on your part. That's or right. The, and, and, in fact, um, well, the tapes helped from uh, mm. uh, the local business and so on. So the case was there. Now. The books were gone, but, and get this, there was a book that was replaced. There was one book left, and it was stacks and stacks of hardcover books, but this was there. Now, I don't know if you can see this. Well, or, or those of you who are listening oh, on listen. a podcast it's, form, this means nothing to you. What do you have in your hand it's there? It's Ayn Rand's The Virtue of Selfishness. Now, it's a paperback. It's a paperback. Yes. Uh, published in the 64, I believe. Mm. Now, uh, what, what, what got me is that I couldn't figure out why they would leave the virtue of selfishness. Now, I did put it in a uh, a bag, it, assuming that CIS or, or the you know forensics would come in and analyze it. And dust it, it. yeah, it, exactly. And yeah, never happened. So it, it was sitting in my bedside table for quite a while. But I was confused as to what they were trying to tell me because the the subtitle is a new concept of egoism, mm. and I think, hmm, why would thieves want me? to educate me on being selfish. Uh, because if you're a thief, don't you want everyone to be generous? And just mm. you're the only one that really needs to be selfish. Or perhaps they generally thought that I was misguided in reading all these biblical books and I need to adopt a new philosophy, mm. that of uh, objective realism. Mm. So mm. Um, that is part of the reason why I want to get into this today with-, with So you don't think that you happened to have your car stolen by an aspiring biblical scholar who was like, oh great, I can't find these books either. 
I just happened upon the guy, and then he came across Ayn Rand. Oh, Ayn Rand, that famous atheistic philosopher. I got no time for that. And then we left it behind in just sheer disgust, you know. Oh, right, like a take it or leave it kind of thing. Oh, basically, yeah. Like your, your car was like the buffet. That's probably why he stole the car in the first place. He was like, man, I need a copy of that interlinear Hebrew. Sure, hope that guy loses his key, you know. Could, yeah, could be. Could or, be. or it couldn't just be that that was a beaten up old paperback that looked a lot less expensive, had less resale value than your uh, rare library books. I don't, but. I, I'm inclined. I'm inclined to mm -hmm. say my moral sense tells me uh, mm. no this 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 was a deliberate uh, uh, in your face this is the philosophy you need forget mm. that Bible stuff that mysticism mm -hmm. that that whole God delusion bit uh, anyhow mm -hmm. that, that, I mean we don't know that I mean they had a different motive we, we, we don't know well we pray for the salvation of that of that thief that's right we pray for his conversion maybe the books help him convert we, we don't know maybe he's listening to this right now if that's the case, I want you to know we forgive you and we love you, and God is calling you to turn to him. Um, but when you told me this story, uh, it, it, it struck me because Ayn Rand is the first atheist philosopher that I ever seriously engaged with. When I, when I was a teenager, as uh, some of the people listening to this might be, as, some, as our students are, of course. Uh, I was really interested in like theology, you know, to the extent, you know, as a teenager I could handle it. Some degree of philosophy, apologetics. So I sort of do atheist philosophers to the extent that they could be debunked. Right? Sure. You know, I sort of knew yeah. how, to, how to respond to you know, yeah. Bertrand Russell or David Hume. Yeah. Um, but I had heard, you know, as I was coming into uh, college, I was doing my BA, you know, I, I sort of knew, I knew there was a, a kind of cult of Ayn Rand and I thought she would, you know, I'm like, okay, I should figure out what this person's about. So my father's a librarian and, and giving is his love language. So I mentioned to my dad once, you know, could you ever get me like an Ayn Rand book? I, I'd like to look at it and see what she's about. And that Christmas, he got me like her entire canon, oh, wow. <laughs> basically as okay. like a gift. Yeah. Um, so I read through through it and uh, that was the first time I kind of read a, an atheist I would say just to sort of see what they were saying not to try to refute them just to see where they were coming from and at the time I, I did find there's something compelling about her prose there's a kind of Absolutely. simplicity yeah. and elegance to the way she yes. argues it and, and I was never tempted to buy into it but it was the first thing to make me pause and go, okay, I've got to think about exactly how to answer this on my own right. and, and now years later you know, with ha having finished that degree uh, yeah. and, and maybe a couple of others and knowing a lot more about philosophy and theology, uh, it, it seems a little rudimentary now, you okay. know, and I, and I can see why she's yeah. not a highly regarded philosopher. And she right. doesn't really deserve to be. That being said, um, there is a reason why a lot of teenagers and a lot of undergraduates and, and a lot of industrialists and other people and even artists are drawn to her. Yeah. And rather than just kind of disdaining and looking down our nose at them for being, you know, simpletons and naifs, uh, our job as classical Catholic educators is to engage with that, is in a dialectic, in a Socratic dialogue. Yes. And so yeah. uh, when he told me that, I thought, you know, we, I think, well, you suggested that really this should be a podcast episode. We shouldn't, we should discuss this in front of a microphone, yeah. lest all of our insights kind of get lost, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and, and just to paraphrase our quote, Schoolman Fawcett, he says, I think I've got this right. Mm. I've read more Anne Rand than I care to admit. Yes. Something like this. It's yes. been a while. It has been a while. So if any objectivist listens to this and is like, you didn't get her accurate, I, I, I do apologize because it's been like over 10 years. I, I revisited her for this. Okay. But I did read her very thoroughly at the time. Uh, or I, I didn't finish every single thing she read. It didn't all deserve to be finished. But I did look at at least uh, a bit of all of it. So could we just start perhaps by elucidating or just giving it a... a brief overview of what exactly is objective realism, which which is what she insists, because I know in an mm -hmm. interview with uh, Mike Wallace, she says, don't call it 
randism. Right. Uh, yes. It's objective. Well, as far, I, as far as I know, she only ever called it objectivism, right? Objectivism. Yeah, objectivism, yeah. Because I think realism for her, she wanted to call it existentialism at first, but uh -huh. that had been taken by something that she hated. Uh -huh. And I think okay. realism, she also would have seen that as being associated with Plato and all this. So she, she okay. coins the term, as far as I know, objectivism. Uh, I could take a stab at explaining this, but okay. I mean, this is, but you also... Uh, you have kind of beginner's mind, as the Buddhists say. Did you, want right. to, did you want to kind of explain it as it, as it seems to you, or do you want me as the seasoned well, it just grand scholar? Cu cu to... Cutting into the opening uh, essay in here, uh, it, it, what I found it very attractive, actually, uh, in some of the arguments she's making. Uh, and mm. she's going to try and divide it basically into two groups. Mm. Uh, there's those who follow altruism, so those who do something for the good of others, and those are um, to be despised. Uh, and mm. then there's those who are genuinely selfish. Mm. And that's the path that you want to take. Uh, all right, th now that, so we could probably get into what, what exactly that looks like, but it was, it was fascinating because she seems to have this mm, abhorrence to evil. And, says, and so that, that, which is attractive, of course, you want someone who's fighting the good fight, right? Mm. And so here, someone who is a parasite, right? Someone who, who lives off of those who are not selfish enough are problematic. And then the others are, well, the fools, right? Who are being taken advantage of. And so she's going to advocate, don't do that. So it seems to have a genuine concern for well-being, mm -hmm. which, which is quite interesting. Now, if I want my um, uh, distant eagle's eye view of how I see things, to me, I see her as just a new Kant, essentially. And, 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 Ooh, what I'm, an insult. Yeah, that yeah, twist yeah. the knife for her to hear yeah, that comparison. Yeah, yeah. Now, who is Immanuel Kant? Well, here, basically, he is the poster child of the Enlightenment. And, mm -hmm. and in a nutshell, basically, one of his feats is to take Christianity and put it into rational form. So, in other words, if you want to think of it, George Grant might say this, secularizing Christianity. So, Kant is going to give you a Sunday school golden rule but not mention the Bible, it's the empirical uh, categorical imperative, and this is how you should behave, uh, because you want all other, all other people to behave like this, so if you're going to um, uh, throw trash out your window, that means mm. everyone can throw trash out their window. If you're going to tell a lie, well, everyone can do it, but if you're going to tell the truth, that's something everyone should do. So that's his categorical imperative, and basically what's attractive about it is he gives a rational framework for everyone should follow these rules. Yeah. And so it's a very enlightenment thing to do, mm. uh, devastating in terms of theology. We could get that another day yeah. in mm -hmm. terms of his devastation uh, of, of his fallen sphere. But uh, what I saw here is Rand also in her objectivism is appealing to reason. She mm -hmm. wants to have a rational framework. Yes. Just like Kant. Absolutely. Now yeah. another one is Kant has this ordered hierarchy. So a hierarchy of um, how we understand uh, reality and, 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 and same thing with, with Rand. To me when I when I read what she's saying. So we're just going to start with a principle, uh, a first principles in terms of uh, life uh, and uh, mm -hmm. so living then leads to, um, yeah, well, if you're conscious, uh, then you can have values, right? Yeah. So, so there's life and then you get values. And in material, physical life. This right. is important. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Like Kant, Kant has a highest aim. For him, it's to will the good. That's, that's the mm -hmm. highest aim mm -hmm. for an ethical person is to will the good. Uh, Rand as well has uh, an aim, and the mm -hmm. highest aim is um, the one who wills, our selfishness, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, so to 
appease or please or appease the self. Um, and then, um, how do I know I'm on the right path? Well, for Kant, the sign is pain. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you know you're, you're, not, you're denying yourself, which proves you're not yeah. being selfish. Yeah. Whereas for Rand here, um, if I'm not mistaken, pleasure Absolutely. is going yes. to be the sign you're selfish in the right way. Yeah. Now, so, so very interesting connections there. I really appreciate her critique of relativism, mm-hmm. which is, is really a morass that, that's throughout uh, contemporary culture, mm-hmm. and, and certainly in the 60s as well. So relativism. Uh, another one is hedonism. Yes. Going back to I mean, Epicurus and, and others. Uh, so hedonism has been around for a while, so, so she critiques that. Communism. So there's yes. another there's another mm-hmm. uh, idol she's going after, mm. and then um, Gnosticism it seems, uh, and by Gnosticism I mean viewing this world as evil. Yes, the material that's, world an, is that's evil. a very interesting point. So, yeah. so, so mm-hmm. I saw that. Oh, okay, so she's she's attacking that. She's seeing a goodness. Yes, and, and there's a high view yes. that she mm-hmm. has of human reason. Yes, that that, that we it's um, patronizing to assume mm-hmm. people need all this government protection that they 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 might. Uh, whether it's to take care of your kids or brush your teeth or tell you what to eat right, yes. uh, mm-hmm. or, or be defended against uh, fraudsters and so on. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying um, there should be no regulation on... Neither would she, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, She's less libertarian than some of her followers, actually. But. Okay. So, so um, but, but that, that was also quite um, mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, she's going to attack Hume, going to attack Rousseau. Sure, sure, yeah, and so yeah. you got to appreciate this as well. Um, all right, so... Well, okay, so there's there there's uh, some first impressions, I guess, yep, yep. Uh, from 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 her opening essay right. on yep. the virtue of selfishness. But I think it's I think it's called the objectivist ethics. I think yeah, that's right. The objectivist ethics is the first. So okay, so those are uh, a few impressions, I guess, uh, or, or first first impressions, right, from meeting yeah, her. And I guess one last thing to throw out there is redeeming. So she's into mm. this project of redeeming selfishness. Yes. So, so that's an interesting, uh, I mean, everyone wants to, uh, redemption. It's the whole narrative of salvation history, right? Mm-hmm. It's redemption. So here, she's out to do some redemption. And, she, she's uh, out to secularize Christianity in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah, or secularize right. religion yeah. in a different so, way. So yes. again, uh, if we think of, um, so again, just to sum it up again, what I appreciate about it is, say, George Grant is going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, Nietzsche's last men. So George Grant is going to mention secular Christianity uh, within our uh, society. For Nietzsche, this is those who uh, dismiss the transcendent, mm-hmm. but still behave as if it was there. Mm-hmm. So uh, that this world is ordered and reasonable, mm-hmm. even though there's no reason to assume so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be your, uh, that's those who Nietzsche is, uh, is attacking his last men. And it seems that Rand is doing the same thing, is mm. attacking those who subscribe to the transcendent, uh, but um, don't realize uh, the philosophical implications, or sorry, behave as yes, if the transcendent right. mm-hmm. uh, were there, but but they're not following through. So she's going mm-hmm. to try and redeem, I suppose, some sort of rational framework by which we can still see this world is ordered. Anyhow, I think that's my impression. So sure, I, I'll, sure, I'll sure. let you just Okay, well, that. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, so let me try to unpack what I sure. what I hear from what you're saying yeah. uh, and give some context yeah. to it. And, and um, finally, tell me why is this why was this book in my car? That's the thing I want. That's to, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll end. see what okay. I can what okay. I can whip up. Okay. okay. Well, um, what you've shown is a lot of the reasons why she's attractive to people, including to Christian believers, despite yeah. her her avowed atheism. Uh, so let me let me try to give my overview of her thought. Um, 
it's a little hard to know quite where to start with it. I almost want to start with her biography. Why not? Just, all right, all right, sure. Well, so she was raised uh, in sort of a, an elite Russian home, or like an upper-class Russian home. Uh, but when she was, I want to say 12, the Russian Revolution occurred. Devastated. Uh, her situation left her impoverished. I believe it, she ended up losing contact with her parents, who she later on expressed no desire to reconnect with, okay. um, which I, I'm hoping to come back to, because I think that that's an oversight in her philosophy. There's no room mm. for the family. But anyways, okay. uh, she found her way to America and got a job in Hollywood as a screenwriter. Okay. Ended up marrying uh, Frank O'Connor, who I think was an actor. Um, and... Uh, well, and she was a novelist. I mean, she's be I mean, we're talking about her as a philosopher, but she was best known as a novelist, right. and that's why she was successful in getting so many converts to objectivism is because she presented it uh, in the form of art. And yes. what you described about her hatred of evil. I mean, her books are about good guys and bad guys, and the good guys are the collect are the the bad guys are the collectivists, right. the altruists right. who are trying to keep down the individualistic, brilliant heroes yes. who are out to improve the world. Well, they're out, to, they're out to be selfish, but in the process of doing that, they're being brilliant and awesome and creating greatness. And, and, and there is something there of the idea of the Imago Dei, I think, in the uh, way she portrays industrialists and artists who yes. are great. They're, they're, she has a kind of, well, she uses divine language. Even the title of her novel, Atlas Shrugged, yes. it's in reference to all the great industrialists and geniuses of the world. They're no longer going to serve the collective. They're going to st stick out for themselves now, just like Atlas shrugging the world off his shoulders. You know, he's not going to okay. hold up the globe anymore. He's going to kick it off. Um, it's a, he's, Atlas is a god. Right. So, right. so Ayn Rand recognizes there's something divine about our ability of creation, and um, that I don't think she's totally wrong about. And, and her attraction to that is not completely misplaced, uh, even okay. if it's uh, well, it, it's misdirected in some ways. But it's not it's not completely misplaced. But, but so that's and that's why I think she appeals to a lot of teenagers or people who are sort of outsiders because, yes. You know, disdain the herd. You know, you're the smart one. You right. are the special one. And you should be selfish. You shouldn't care what they think. They're just a bunch of moochers and looters. Yes. Right? Uh, you should be like, uh, uh, how, oh gosh, let me see. Howard Rorick is the hero of the Fountainhead, the, the great architect who's not appreciated by all the other architects, but ends up being more successful than any of them. Or Hank okay. Reardon and Atlas Shrugged with his yeah. miracle metal and uh, his machine that can generate uh, energy out of the static in the air, you know, and this kind of thing. And, and, and great, incredible technological developments yeah. um, that... The, and again, of course, communism, she has a, a very deep-rooted personal distaste for. Of course. Yeah. And she sees any kind of altruism as being a, essentially a form of communism. Right. Of trying to dilute the individual and their greatness into this sort of anti-life, collective, harmful thing. So that's context for her. As for her philosophy, here's how I would explain it. And you've also just recently read her, her breakdown, so you can see if you agree. Yeah. So she starts with, she's atheist. She is an unbeliever in God or in the mystical, or so she thinks. So therefore, what's the foundation? Well, her ethics are based on value, right? Yeah. Values, which, is, which right away, George Grant would say is nihilistic, yes. right? Because it's not about objective goodness. It's about right. value, you know. Wait, and now, now, just to jump in there, do you mean he would say that because 
going back to Nietzsche, where we self-create values. Yes. Is that what you have in Basically, mind there? Basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, without so God to do it. Now, now, right. now and this so is important. God because, creating values, we have to create them. And so. again, this is important because you are absolutely right. She wants to create a purely rational. She She's opposed to mysticism or irrationality, or so she thinks. Yeah. So she wants a purely rational, objective basis for all ethics and all her philosophy. And so, because of that, so she's talking about value, right? Uh, with, uh, that's separated from God or ultimate meaning. Yeah. Well, where does that have to come from? Well, the only thing that can value something is a living being. Right. right? Uh, and our lives are vulnerable. You know, we could die. Yeah. Right? We're, we're not guaranteed to be alive. And in, so we have to do stuff to stay alive. And as human beings, that we don't have claws or sharp teeth or anything like that. We have to use our reason. Ah. We have to readjust the world around us in accordance with our reason yes. uh, so that it will not kill us, basically, okay. and so that we can live and prosper. So therefore, there's an objective basis for value. Value, what's valuable is what's valuable to us because it keeps us alive. Keeps us alive, so it sustains and by and, and by us, I mean the, in the individual. The individual. Like, me, yeah. it keeps me yes. alive, yes. yes. And as you mentioned, what's the barometer for me telling you if it helps me or not? For her, it's pain versus pleasure. If something brings me pleasure, that shows that it's good for me. If something brings me pain, that shows it's bad for me. And by that, I mean bad for my life, for the yeah. flourishing and, and prolongation of my life. Because only reason can ascertain this, that means, and, and only an individual can exercise reason, right? There, okay. as, as I think she says this in her, uh, one of her speeches in the Fountainhead, there's no collective brain, right? Oh, Every individual must reason for themselves. Oh, wow. So that means, that's the basis of her individualism. I, okay. as an individual, am the basis of my life, so I have to keep myself alive. Before I can do anything else, any any goodness I do comes out of my surplus, is the way she puts it. Okay. Right, I have to preserve my own life first, and to do that, I have to exercise my own reason, and therefore I have to be uninhibited from reasoning. So that right. means religion can't tell me what to do, government can't tell me what to do. I should be as free as possible to exercise or my, my reason. My parents can't tell me what to they do. They sure can't, absolutely. What, what about your teacher? Yeah, she'd be very oh, dismissive of teachers what? too. Oh, sure, oh. Um, because especially state subsidized schools, oh, right? Because wow. um, they're they're just there to serve the government there, right? Oh, right. Um, but again, communi you know, communism. So, so all, the, all and in fact, all the great inventions come from, according to her, you know, some some smart individual or, or maybe even group of individuals working together freely. They're the basis of all, you know, the the buildings uh, that we see, all the inventions, this microphone and this computer. They all come from. The, and this is what the title, the fountainhead, refers to. It's just the fountainhead of everything comes from human reason, individual reason. Now, communism and all the other altruistic, uh, parasitic forms of morality want to take what individual great human beings have done and say, oh, no, this belongs to everybody, without considering yeah. where they really come from, right? Right. Uh, and, and negate that, right? And that's what communism does, according to her. And so does every other kind of selflessness, right? So, right. so this is why selflessness is a sin for her. It's right. evil for her yes. because negating the self is negating the basis of all life. And since right. life is the basis of all value, anything that negates that is evil. So therefore, the basis of her rational moral egoism is it's what's rational self-interest. Is what That's her definition right. of selfishness is rational self-interest. And again, now I might make some mistakes, you know, as I'm trying to invent the wheel or something like that. But that's the reason why she's in favor of freedom. So I can, see, you know, so I can see if I build something and it doesn't work, or if I taste something and I don't like it, uh, I can tell that it needs to be fixed. But I can only do that if I have freedom, right? Yeah. If uh, if if I have a business that's be so if I if I start a business and it fails, oh, yeah. I, I'm learning that that's just not working for me. Therefore, I need to change it. But if I'm being subsidized, 
or there's price controls or something like that, then I don't have that access to reality. Yeah. So she is in favor of pure, basically a pure, more or less unregulated capitalism, right. which is why one of her books is called Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. It's why at the end of Atlas Shrugged, her hero, John, her messiah, John Galt, yeah. who leads this revolution of yes. industrialists, yeah. the last line of the book is him making the sign of the dollar oh, over, his, no over the way. crowd, yes, okay. which was also, from what I understand, uh, engraved in her, her coffin. The is the, the, is the dollar sign, yes. Okay. Uh, which, which she suggests, I think incorrectly, that the dollar sign is supposed to be the letters U.S., um, and therefore okay. that America is defined by the dollar, which for her, the almighty dollar, which is great for her. That's why she loves America. Oh, okay. Uh, so it is literally a new kind of religion for her, a new kind of yeah. ethics that she thinks is based on pure reason. Uh, and by pure reason, I don't mean that in a platonic way. Like, it's purely rational. Right. She's in a, in, she's in, in a, pure, a Kantian yes. way. No, 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 no. Because, well, not in, well in an ethical sense, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. she, but for her, so this is the other thing. She, her her epistemology is is empiricist, right? Right. Yeah. Sure. She thinks this is why she hates Kant. She hates Kant because of his ethics, first of all, because he <laughs> says you have to be selfless all the time yes. and you have to suffer all the time. That's how you know you're doing something good, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. She despises that, yeah. and his epistemology is well, we don't really know what's real. Right, right, and the, it, the it's noumena, simplified. Yeah, there's yeah. the noumena which we have no exactly. access to. We have the phenomena that you know we can work with, but we don't know if it reflects reality or not. Ultimately, yeah. she says, forget that. The basis, the first tenet of everything else is existence exists. I can yeah. sense the world directly; it's yeah. real, um, and it's benevolent. It's a benevolent universe, right? right. right? If I if I exercise my reason, I can make it work for me. Yeah. So she. Uh, that, so there's empiricism there. So the, yeah. the epistem. So, so when I say rational, I mean what I mean is you you can sense empirically what's going on in the world, and then you use your reason to figure out what to do in the world to preserve your own life, and that's the basis of all morality yeah. and any kind of just moral society. Right. It, so. it sounds almost a, a little bit. I mean, stemming from Hobbes there, where you know you. Preserving your life is is paramount, right? Mm -hmm. So so here selfishness like this is preserving your life. This is paramount. Uh, what I appreciate uh, too in terms of the um, uh, the moves that she's making is very much like other modern philosophers disdaining other philosophers yes. who've come before and uh, just well, yes. She says there have been three good philosophers in history, yeah. and they all have names that start with the letter A: Aristotle, Aquinas, and Ayn Rand. I'm not making that up. That's a really a thing she said. Can you believe that? She won't admit, and she doesn't fess up to being influenced by like Adam Smith. She disdains Nietzsche because she thinks he's ultimately an irrationalist, which is kind of right. true, I think. Right. Actually, he's you know she, people say he's an individualist and inspired her, but she says ultimately he's he's an irrationalist because he says we should yeah. go with emotions and you know feeling. Yeah. And he's Dionysian, whereas she's Apollonian. That's right. Uh, so she thinks that there's basically been very little useful philosophy. Right. But she likes Aristotle, and yeah. she likes Aquinas, although she doesn't really know anything about him. Because at one point she suggests maybe he was a closet atheist, which you yeah. need to have never read Aquinas <laughs> to come away with that. But, yeah. like you said, that does make her kind of refreshing in the face of relativism. Right. Right. She yeah. She's a very, I mean, she's literally an objectivist. She thinks there's an objective reality. Yeah. She thinks Aristotle was right, which puts her kind of accidentally in line with the Catholic metaphysical tradition, right. at least since yeah. Aquinas. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and her condemnations of communism are obviously very uh, yeah. appealing too, as far as they go. Yeah, and so not just her epistemology being objectivist, but her, as, as noted, ethics. So, so think of, for instance, uh, someone like David Hume. Uh -huh. So Hume is going to say that uh, reason needs to be the slave of the passions. Right. And why he says that is because he has this idea that we have a moral sense that's uh -huh. the 
prior to, a prior before our reason, our ideas that we get. So just as you have a stroke of lightning, uh, you see it and then you sense it first and then you form ideas about it later. So too, humans are gonna say, you see a situation, you are aghast at what is there, then later on you come up with reasons as to why that is so. And uh, so this is why a reason needs to be the slave of passion. So he has this kind of sixth sense that he ascribes to humanity, whereas she's going to have none of that, uh, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. so ethics, morality is, no, 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 no. It's not sentimental. It's, mm -hmm. it's not based on feeling. It's objective, mm -hmm. all right? So, so, so not just her epistemology, but then her ethics then become objective. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, let's maybe going back to the uh, selfishness bit to, to perhaps illustrate a little bit uh, for, for maybe our students who are thinking about, huh, what am I going to do when I grow up? Sure. All right. And so there's a, a, a parable or anecdote there that's given of, you know, the son, the good son mm -hmm. who uh, follows his mother's bidding in, let's say she wants him to become a doctor. So instead of following his passion, maybe, maybe he wanted to be a, an artist. So instead of following what he truly wanted to do, he uh, is not selfish. Instead, he's altruistic. And he goes ahead and follows the path that someone else, that his mother, wanted him to follow. So for, for Rand, this is anathema. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is totally uh, against what a reasonable, selfish person should do. Yeah. Which is why she is in favor of eradicating any culture based on that. So she, okay. uh, you know, she's ethnically Jewish and people debate how important that is to her identity or her thoughts. She would, she would say no. She thought any, any kind of identification with a group, she has complete disdain for you. Right. Uh, any, any minority group, she always says this, the, you know, the smallest minority is the individual and that's the minority group you should belong to. <laughs> okay. Uh, but she did say that even though Israel was a socialistic country, it was more rational than the, than any of the uh, Middle Eastern countries around it. And therefore we should support Israel, um, essentially heedlessly. Uh, okay. And if they if they're violent against uh, these reactionary Muslim countries, that's great. Same with the uh, settlers in the New World. She said the indigenous peoples were backwards and tribalistic and mystical, and Amer the Americans, the early Americans, represented reason. Their their empire of liberty was absolutely justified in as much as possible wiping out the indigenous cultures. Okay. Uh, so she says so that that's the conclusion from that. And so again, there's a real disdain for any kind of sense of uh, something's bigger than myself, and it's a community. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, no, do you want to run with that idea a little bit? Like, what, what are your takes on mm -hmm. selfishness? So she's going mm -hmm. to argue that this is actually the modus operandi. Like, this this is how we got to go through our daily life. Mm -hmm. is, is through, So can you take us through that? Like, how does that make sense, then? How does what she says For, make yeah, sense? Yeah. No, so how, does, how does she make it make sense to herself? And then, you know, what can we make of that ourselves? So... The selfishness bit. Well, I mean, so, well, goodness. I mean, in some ways, I guess, suppose it speaks for itself, right? You you go out and you do what you need to do in order to uh, keep yourself alive and make yourself happy. And it yeah. doesn't mean, like, uh, first, I don't think it quite means an Aristotelian sense of, you know, eudomenea or whatever, but uh, it's, it's not just hedonistic pleasure either because she thinks that's debasing, yeah. you know, yeah. and everything to your reason. Um Ideally, I mean, in a free society, you'd be free to create whatever you wanted to, as long as people were willing to buy it, right? Yeah. Uh, and she thinks in a free society, people would be rational, and they would buy things that they 
Uh, want to and, and even if they weren't rational and they suffer for it, they would learn you know better, right? They would yeah, yeah. they would improve as a result of that. In in a not free society, she, she thinks because her basis of morality is entirely kind of free rational choice, yeah. she thinks that wherever there's an element of compulsion, morality uh, doesn't apply anymore in some sense. So, okay. uh, so for example, um, like if someone's got a gun pointed at you. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, you have no, you're like, your life is on the line. What You could choose to kind of selflessly, you know, refuse to compromise your principles and die. That's fine if you want to, I suppose. Yeah. But if you comply with that person so they don't kill you, that's fine too. Because at that point, ethics have become irrelevant. Okay. Because there's coercion. Because there's coercion and because your material life, if it's going to end... Uh, that's just, the highest principle. Exactly. And, and this is why, so for example, people will sometimes, uh, they think they got, I have a gotcha moment for, for Ayn Rand, which is that in her old age, she collected Social Security. Okay. And people say, oh, you know, some libertarian you are, you're obviously willing to collect on, you know, taxes and all that. Yeah. Well, her argument would have been, for what it's worth, well, look, I had a gun pointed at me throughout my life and I had to pay for Social Security. This is yeah. my money and they took it from me. So. Yeah. Like, I should have more money than I have right now, basically. So, right. given that I'm under compulsion to pay this, yeah. my ethics don't really apply anymore. Like, the, yeah. I may as well collect it back, because what okay. else is there to do, really? Yeah, yeah. So, she, so, I don't think... Say what you will about that, but I don't think she was actually being inconsistent, right, despite right. what people okay, were alleging against okay. her. But yeah. how about this one? Because this, this also came up in an interview with her, um, when it comes to love, right? Yes. So, so, this can be philia or, or um, eros or agape, mm-hmm. but when it comes to <clears throat> love, with this platonic relationship or maybe with your spouse or your child, yeah. um, hmm, how can you, uh, how does selfishness factor in there or what, what's going on? Is there such thing as love? Yeah, well, oh gosh, there is, yeah, there's love, but it's entirely rooted in your estimation of yourself. Okay. Um, so would you would you mind repeating? Because you've seen this more recently than me. What does she say? This is to Mike Wallace, I think, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so what does she say to Mike Wallace there? Oh, because the, the context is her husband is an artist. Yeah. Uh, and would you support him in his artwork? Mm-hmm. And this would obviously have some uh, you know financial burden upon her. Uh, her answer is, well, he actually he's okay financially. But uh, I would support him not because I'm sacrificing myself. Yeah. But I support him because I am selfish. Mm-hmm. And so the rationale, if I understand it correctly, is she wants him to succeed uh, because that will bring her mm-hmm. a, a greater self-worth or self-estimation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's always self-referential uh, mm-hmm. when she talks about yes. it. So, so she could justify her mm, what might seem like altruism yeah. it might seem like a self-sacrifice to you know support her husband and, and whatnot mm-hmm. but she justifies or she brings it back self-referentially mm-hmm. to be yeah this is this is actually an act of selfishness so uh, what, what do you think well that's and that's and you're and yeah. i should stress this point more so this is why she doesn't like altruism because literally it's self-sacrifice or at least in her explanation of it right yeah. um and she she doesn't always do this, but she sometimes does. Ties back to Christianity, right? Yeah. You've got to deny yourself, right? You've got literally to die to yourself. Well, yeah. That's anathema to her, right? right. Absolutely yeah. not. Like, you, you are not supposed to be. And that term selfless is horrifying to her. It's literally the most unethical thing you could be because what else is the basis of ethics except yourself yes. and the prolongation of yourself? Yeah. Which doesn't mean you create it out of whole, your, your value out of whole cloth. It's, it's objectively structured by 
what keeps you alive, right? Yes, yes. Um, but to, to negate yourself in favor of some higher ideal that she thinks, you know, it's going to be something mystical and unreal is, is completely disgusting to her. It's, it's literally right. abhorrent to her. Uh, so she says, I think, and I, you, you jog my memory on this, but she says um, there are some people who are unworthy of love. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so, so there the context would be, should the government be involved in supporting others who, you know, way back then would be called welfare, but unemployment insurance, mm -hmm. different social support structures, uh, should, should that be happening to help people up? Uh, and uh, for her, no. That, that, mm. that, no. If it's, it's patronizing. Uh, to individuals who can sort out for themselves what they want to do or not want to do. And until someone reaches a certain standard of selfishness or a certain standard of self-worth, mm -hmm. then they're worthy of love. Until that happens, no, they're, they're, they're beneath, uh, beneath mm -hmm. uh, being loved, mm -hmm. love, lovable. Mm -hmm. So here's where I'm going to get to where I think her thing breaks down. Her whole thing kind of breaks down. There's, a few, there's actually a few points there's where I think the whole thing breaks okay. down. Um, some crap so on the wall. Well, yeah. Some, well, it's the house of Usher. It's going to bring the whole thing down, I think. Okay. So, okay, there's a problem with the metaphysics, but maybe we can get to that later if we have time. I think the reason why she sounds kind of compelling when you read through her is because she, she slips in, she tricks you into following along with this dilemma she's created of either yeah. altruism or egotism. Right. Altruism or individualism. Yeah. Right. Well, in the church, we understand that there's this third way. Okay. It's, it's personalism, right? Okay. We're, we are neither just part of a collective, but nor are we just atomistic individuals. We are persons. So mm -hmm. as, as selves, we have infinite value. That does transcend anything merely collective. Like, like C.S. Lewis says, right? Um, everyone you meet is, is eternal. Yeah. You've never met a mere mortal. Right. So, you know, you, Dr. McClarney, you are going to outlast the civilizations that we are, you know, right. like, you know, you, yeah. you are old, you're, you're going to be older than Rome or Egypt or America or whatever. Right. right. Um, now of course she doesn't have that basis because she doesn't, like I said, her, her metaphysics sure. don't sure. end up making sense, right. but, um, as a, but therefore, so you do, there's the one sense in which as, as yourself, as, as you, you have infinite value, but you also only make sense in context in relationship to others. Like right. the Trinity, right? Now, she thinks this is mysticism, but C.S. Lewis is right here, right? Uh, you believe in Christianity as you believe in everything else, or as you believe in the sun, right? Yeah. I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not because I can see it directly. I can't, right? You can't look at the sun directly, yeah. but by the sun, you can see everything else. Right. Same with the Trinity. The Trinity, you can't look at it directly, but it illuminates everything else. Each, each person of the Trinity is distinct, and yet they're, they're unintelligible apart from their relationship of self-giving love to each other. Right. And same with human persons. And, and, and so it's outside of that, that dichotomy. And love is a pretty good example. Of course, the Trinity is, is based in love. The Trinity is love. Right. Uh, and it's the same with us, too. So, okay, so here's where she... Her novels often involve sex, to be, okay. to be frank. And we, we don't have to get into that in great detail in this educational podcast. Sure. But she, th she thinks this is a slam dunk for her. She, she, okay. has a, she has a couple of monologues in Atlas Shrugged about um, imagine, imagine having sex selflessly. Okay. You know, with no pleasure to yourself, entirely out of a spirit of altruism. Like, that's nonsense, right? right. It should be entirely selfish. Right? Okay. The person to whom you make love, you know, it's a statement of, who you, of how you value yourself. Okay. Right? You, you, if you have a high... And she's onto something here, right? If yeah. you have a low value of yourself, you'll be a little bit indiscriminate, yeah. right? But if you have a high value of yourself, you'll only... Um, 
and I, I notice this note, I don't think she uses this language, but notice the language I'm using. You'll only give yourself yes. to someone who you have a high, very high esteem for. Right. right. And I think there's, she's right about that to some extent. But isn't that interesting that that's still what the act is? It's still an act of self-gift, right? right. There's, there's not a dichotomy between, what Christ says is, you know, you deny yourself to save yourself, right? right. You take yes. up your cross so you can live. Now, that might sound like mysticism, but I would think that, uh, and I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say marriage yet, just sex involves this. And, and Ayn Rand's interesting, and, and I'm a little, i got to tread carefully here because of the nature of it, but Ayn Rand has a female character in Atlas Shrugged tell a male character to whom she's about to make love that he, basically he has, he has privileges to do whatever he wants with her. You know, okay. so it's a complete gift of self. Like it's, it's, it is a self negation. Like everything that Ayn Rand says, oh, you have to be completely autonomous and you have to be in charge of yourself and not submit yourself to anybody else. Yeah. In the sexual realm, she recognizes, at least from the relation of the female to the male, yeah. which this is where she actually said she wasn't a feminist okay. because she didn't yeah. feel this way. Um, there is actually a self gift. There's a surrender over to the other right. in that act of lovemaking, which I think that's Ayn Rand. She, she accidentally stumbles on this point that self-interest can mean self-gift and, and should mean self-gift and self-gift is self-interest and you actually find yourself in the other. And this right. is where she's not really true to her own principles, right? Like, so she says, you know, uh, she's based, you know, her ethics are based on like objective rationality and observation of the world. But then she says, oh, you know, and therefore the basis of that is life. And everything else is subsidiary to, or secondary, you know, to preserving your own material life. Well, Aquinas is a lot, you know, this medieval thinker is a lot more observant than she is. And I think he's developing this from Aristotle. But he says there are three basic dynamisms in human nature. The first is to self-preservation of life. Yeah. Fair enough. You're, you're yeah. right about that. Aaron. The second one is to reproduction. Right. And the third one is towards friendship and society. Okay. Yeah. All of those are actually, that's what, hence we are political animals. Right. It's actually definitional to us that we have to be in relationship to others and in yeah. friendship with others and in a kind of self-gift to others. And that's not a self-erasure. Like, like she might be right about that when she critiques someone like Kant. Yeah. She may be onto something about that. I think she yeah. is actually. Yeah, well, I think not, um, Kant is getting Gnostic I mean, when he's saying pain, right. pain Absolutely. is a yeah. sign of good. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. She's completely right to, to reject that, but that's not the Christian ethic. Right. right, which is the basis of all of this, you know, uh, and this is where I think she breaks down because so she recognizes that there's an element of self-gift, which is also self-interest in yeah. an act of sexual love and self-giving, but then she has no uh, time for marriage. Okay. Right? And now she's married in real life, but in her fiction, no one gets married, and she herself uh, cheats on her husband with Nathaniel yeah. Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which we'll get so, to that in just yeah, a second. Yeah, gonna, no, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, because yeah. there's a sense of like, well, it's, it's about your pleasure. It's about your happiness. I feel happy being Selfish. polyamorous, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and therefore, I, I know, I'm not going to give myself totally over to you, Frank O'Connor. I'm going to save some of myself and share it with Nathaniel Brandon. Yeah. Now, here's what's interesting, folks. Um, so Dr. Yeah. McClarney has the original edition of The Virtue of Selfishness from, was it 64 or whatever? 64, yeah. Uh, here I have in my hand the, the edition that I, you know, read, which was the 50th anniversary one. Uh, there's an interesting footnote. Yeah. So, so this is a collection of essays of The Virtue of Selfishness, yeah. including some essays by Nathaniel Brandon, who was a psychologist, I believe. And yeah. uh, so his essays are still in here. There's an interesting PS in the yes. introduction. It's in my copy, in this 50th anniversary yeah, edition yeah. of The, the Virtue of Selfishness. Missing in this one. It's yeah. not in the original, but in the 50th anniversary one. P.S. Nathaniel Brandon is no longer associated with me, with my philosophy, or with the objectivist. Ooh, interesting. 
Why, why this very passive-aggressive note in the book? Well, because Nathaniel Brandon and her broke up because she ended, he ended up ending his relationship with her to go with a young... He, first of all, he cheated on his wife with Ayn Rand, Barbara yes. Brandon. Yeah. And then he later left Ayn Rand and got with a younger woman, and that infuriated Ayn Rand to the point where she just cut off all contact with him. Okay. Ke- kept his essays in her book. Yes, yes. But included this footnote, I have nothing to do with this guy anymore. Yeah. Now, why is that, why is that curious? Well, <laughs> not, not to be Straussian here, where we're going to read between the lines and read a lot into it, but it's very telling, is it not, mm-hmm. of her entire uh, selfishness. Because um, if, if um, you're going to follow this through to its logical conclusion, well... Uh, Nathaniel Brandon is, is going to be um, mm-hmm. just as selfish as the next person. Yep. So you're going to have this fracturing of relationships, mm-hmm. self-gift, and, and um, this is wreaks havoc on our souls. Yeah. Right? It wreaks mm-hmm. havoc. Uh, I mean, she might deny the existence of souls. But yes, it, it wreaks havoc on our, our on the fabric of who we are. It is mm-hmm. so profound of a hurt. Um, to the mm. individual that it can't go unnoticed, uh, uncommented, un- un- or, or without a strong reaction. And so I think it is, to come back to your point about love, and um, it's, it's the gift of oneself, mm-hmm. isn't, does not lead, as you said, to the erasure of the self, but it, it leads to the fulfillment. So, so it reminded mm. me of a little bit of um, maybe Sartre's argument against God. Like, there, mm-hmm. there's not room in this town for the two of us. Right, yes, yes. So if God is free, then my freedom is diminished. Which right? is a very um, nominalist or like, uh, it's like, it's like a scotist or a alchemist view of God, right? That God, there's not, it's not that there's an analogy between God and us. It's just God and us are univocally the same kind of being and therefore, yeah, we crowd each other out. That's you know? right. We crowd each other out. And, and uh, as much as I'm um, an uno solo, as, as Machiavelli might put it, uh, right, so right. that means my, I'm free when I'm exercising to the greatest extent that I can my ability to manipulate control the world to my own ends mm-hmm. uh, so so if that's the way you look at things then that means who can be free well it's only the individual who the most freedom is the tyrant but mm. this becomes a paradox yes. because then um, how do I experience love right yeah. uh, and so this is uh, freedom is a requisite for love to mm-hmm. take place because I love your course you can't give and freely receive yes. love mm-hmm. so uh, this is where I think the system starts to break down a little bit and maybe you could so, mm-hmm. so love can't actually work on, on selfishness even if she's going to claim it's self-referential because ultimately this is the gift of the going out of oneself giving to the other which then allows in freedom it's vulnerability mm-hmm. but paradoxically it's there in being bound by the other mm-hmm. that we are free and so this is um, it, whether it's a relationship like marriage mm-hmm. having a, you know the, the wedding band that, to be bound yep. mm-hmm. right uh, so this this is a, 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 a platform by which my I'm, I'm enclosed to all of the relationships romantically but it allows freedom flourishing to take place same thing we said of God and, mm-hmm. and us mm-hmm. right so in giving ourselves holy to the uh, uh, creator, the almighty. Uh, mm-hmm. of the, the, um, so that is authenticating what we are designed to be. Mm-hmm. It's not a diminishment, but an augmentation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so here, um, one thing that I come away with a little bit is 
the uh, imitation of Christ yes. right? as, as being the um, incompatibility with, with uh, mm-hmm. objectivism or randomism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so, um, yeah, the generosity of God mm-hmm. is, is, is uh, I think, um, Rand helps to provide a uh, perhaps a foil of some sort to, mm-hmm. to it's, it's because the liberality of God you might say it's like the one who goes after the 99. Yes. Behind. That, that reckless abandon. Ah, yes. Um, no, that does go in the face of the human reason which we try to work with. Um, it's not irrational, but it's something we might not intuit uh, right, right away. Yeah. So, so God is giving us this uh, example of how to truly live. Because if you want to think of Christ, of course, he's divine, but as human, he gives us an example of us, because human as well, uh, of how to live, right? Mm-hmm. How to live on earth and be the best that we can be. Mm-hmm. And, and so in that sense, um, th- this is giving of oneself actually leads to fulfillment. Yes. And so great meaning is taken, whether you want to have it in the Aristotelian sense mm-hmm. of telos, but really in, in the gospel sense. Of, yes, yeah, you, yeah. You, 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 it's... Um, Great meaning is derived because when you become perfect, mm-hmm. and telos is the is the Greek word that Jesus yes. is using. Yeah, yeah. As your heavenly Father is telos, mm-hmm. right? This is what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. It, Absolutely, yeah. And and well, and the saints are also examples of this. I mean, Saint Martin of Tours, right? Like he yeah. he cuts off, he gives his cape to okay. a beggar, right? Yes. yes. Um, now, see, see, she hates generosity, like, and she hates the poor, kind of. Well, I mean, she thinks that in a free economy, you know, the, the only people who be poor are the people who, I guess, deserve it. And she has real contempt for people with disabilities, like those, uh, okay, yeah. or, or um, like she, she actually talks at one point about how she feels disgusted when she looks at people who have like Down syndrome. Oh wow! Like she was okay. really grossed out by that hmm. um, because it's such an opposite of her. Right? As opposed to if you read her books, where she just drools over these perfect ideal male and female forms. Because again, that's like this like, aspirational thing that she's going after. You know, is yeah. human perfection and everything. But uh, Saint Martin of Tours, of course, gives his cloak to. Uh, to his cape to a beggar and that night the story goes right he sees a vision of our Lord Jesus Christ wearing that cape and then he wakes up and, and the cape is there yes right which then becomes a relic uh, which people then go to, to pray at uh, which is where we get the word the word for cape is chapel okay right? that's, yes. uh, that's, that's because people would go to this place where the cape was reserved you know uh, that's the basis of the word chapel okay. actually is or it? chaplain yeah okay. it's yeah. St. Martin of Tours cape. The cape, yeah. absolutely so there's a case of and I think Dostoevsky refers to the story and of course Dostoevsky is what Ayn Rand wants to be you know this Russian writer who writes these long philosophical novels that are actually yeah. about something but that that shows that the, you actually discover yourself in giving yourself right. which, which is something Ayn Rand would never really be able to comprehend yeah. Yeah. though, though I I want to get into it now, but if you want to read a Russian writer who also was from the nobility and uh, was kicked out with the Russian Revolution, but did understand this, I'd recommend Catherine Dougherty, right, the founder yes. of the Madonna House Apostolate, right. the Marian Center, right, uh, who dis- who did discover exactly that, that no, actually true freedom does come from seeing Christ in, well, that's why they call uh, the poor, the brothers and sisters Christopher, right? right. Probably the probably closest yeah. thing to a, a Mother Teresa in Canada, I would yeah. say, right, yeah. would be uh, Catherine Dougherty. Uh, anyone who ever wants to come visit us here in Edmonton, uh, please do check out Marion Center. Uh, hopefully we can have a retreat there soon. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, to uh, touch just on, as we come to our close here, we'll go a little over an hour, I think, okay. for this. Sure, sure. Um, but you said maybe she wouldn't believe in the soul. Well, here's the other thing. Like, so she claims to disdain mysticism entirely. 
but she first of all she believes in free will and, and i don't just mean in in political freedom yep. she's very explicit that she believes yep. in a metaphysical free will right. she goes after bf skinner in one of her essays yes yeah, um, for context bf skinner is a behaviorist, behaviorist psychologist yes. who said the mind is a black box so we can't we can't actually investigate why we think but um, we can he said give me a child any child and i can make him into a thief yes a doctor Learn whatever you want, mm -hmm. just by controlling his environment. Yes. So, so it's it, the bells ringing and we salivate and all the rest. Well, that's Pavlov. But in any case, same idea, same, 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 same principle. Yeah, and exactly. So mm -hmm. It's through these. Uh, that, that, you're okay. thinking you're just stimuli, basically. Yeah. So, so for Skinner, so, so Rand would say what it, 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 to, to Skinner? Well, she, well, she just thinks that it's self-refuting, basically. Uh, which, in fact, what's funny is she actually quotes Noam Chomsky okay. uh, to critique B.F. Skinner, um, <laughs> and she refers to literature. She loves. Uh, she thinks literature demonstrates great literature she loved Les Mis right. um, and yes. that, she, that, that demonstrates she, she talks about uh, how B.F. Skinner's book was called Beyond Freedom and Dignity right okay. and whereas Freedom and Dignity is what she's she's all about right yes. um, but because she, she she speaks in metaphysical language she, she talks about the soul she actually talks about things that are sacred or the spiritual and I just do not see how you can do that on a materialist basis. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and yes, she like Aristotle, she believes it's an epiphenomenal thing. Like she doesn't think God puts souls in us. But she's also very clear. Like she, that's why that's why there's something repellent to her uh, about yeah. communism and anti-life philosophies. Is that they go against the soul. There's something anti-spiritual about them. Yeah, perhaps the soul in the sense of anima, right? Or like it, mm -hmm. it animates us as an animating principle. But even granting that, that's still an immaterial thing. That's and, true. And, yeah, and, yeah. and the same thing with even her, her, I'm sure she thought she was being a materialist by being an empiricist. But um, we've talked about uh, Thomistic metaphysics before. Maybe we can do it on the show at some point. Yeah. And if you ever want to enroll in our Chesterton Academy, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's that option of taking our classes on metaphysics. Of course, yeah. Um, but that that principle too of okay, if you can know what and, and Ayn Rand says this too because she's not a pure she doesn't think we're just lower animals. She says uh, the basis of our knowledge is not just perceptions; it's concepts that we form based on our perceptions, oh, yeah. which is not which is not bad. I, but those are all immaterial. That only makes sense if objects out there have a form in addition to their matter and that we have yes. some kind of active intellect that can abstract those forms and yes. deposit them in our passive intellect and those are all immaterial things and they're not immaterial necessarily in a gnostic or even platonist way of being you know a completely separate on another story you know from uh, from the material world they're intertwined with it but there must be something immaterial for this to work and i don't think she she has a whole book a really bad boring book on metaphor on um on epistemology yeah. and she doesn't seem to realize that that she has to right. it, it's funny because ayn rand does this thing that i i really do like she she coins a term for a fallacy and it's called the fallacy of stealing the concept Okay. And what she says by that is, if you make an argument That's against something... That's actually the name of the fallacy? The name of it is, yes, uh, exactly. The of stealing the concept, okay. yes. And so she says, so for example, the claim from uh, Proudhon that uh, property is theft. She says, okay. well, what, well, what's theft? Theft is when you steal somebody's property. Yeah. So you can't say all property is theft because the concept of theft assumes the concept of property. You've right. stolen the concept right. in an attempt okay. to undermine it. I think that's actually a, a great, that's maybe her best contribution to thought is, is that okay. concept. I think she's totally right about that, but she, she commits it herself. Okay. She, she tries to undermine mysticism right. and immaterialism yeah. and religion by stealing these concepts from them. Well, yeah, and even, I mean, freedom is a very, very good example, but even reason. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, Alan Plantinga points this out, right? You, you can't, on a materialistic worldview, mm -hmm. there's no grounds for reason. Uh, or, I mean, to 
it's a different thinker here, but um, uh, Bentham, uh, Jeremy Bentham is going to call human rights nonsense yeah. on stilts. Nonsense on stilts, yes. And, and so it was so reason as well. Where did it come from? I mean, that's her starting principle. Uh, I mean, there's life, I suppose, and we can ask, where did that come from? But So there's mm-hmm. life. But then we have consciousness. Okay, so you're going to take that for granted. But you know, reason? Well, how so? How, how can there be a logos, a logic within it, if there is no objective logos? If there's no, nothing reasonable out there? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just left with um, pragmatism, uh, right? Yeah. A- as opposed to actual genuine reason so so in the concept of reason mm-hmm. we could argue is yeah uh, i think so it, it has to be rooted in the metaphysical let alone freedom uh and and yeah. let alone soul. So, something outside right. of this uh materialistic machine but again yeah. but she also didn't for someone who was all about objectivism she you know, the objective world she didn't really know much about biology it seems so so for example like what i was saying earlier about uh part of human nature is to be other directed our sexual biology t- shows that Right. right, like yeah. the reproductive system is the only system that doesn't work by itself, which means we we have to become one flesh with somebody else, and there's and there's an obvious meaning embedded in that, which is the self gift and the self denial in some ways that you have to become one with another person, and that, and that's not see she she hates talk of the common good, she hates talk of like some cosmic unity. She takes a whole, she writes a whole essay about um, Populorum Progressio, the papal encyclical, and just denounces that as being full of mysticism. But saying that a man and a woman become one flesh is is it's a basic biological fact, right? Like it's it's the reproductive system working in the same way that the um, well, the respiratory system or something would, or you know, the digestive system, right? It's literally functioning as a system in a body. Um, But but of course, she never talks about children, which is a big problem, or at least not not in anything I've read. She kind of alludes at one point to, well, yeah, kids need parents and they need adults to take care of them, but we're not children anymore. We grew up. Okay, okay, but still, like, the basis of them growing up to be healthy is not just being cared for, but being loved, being loved selflessly, as anyone who's actually a parent knows. To do it, yes. to really do a good job, it doesn't mean just making sure they have the best formula or whatever. It, it's a personal, yeah. effective thing you have to do to yeah. make sure this child is psychologically healthy and well-rounded, which maybe she didn't get, I don't know. Right, okay, well, maybe mm. we could bring this back then, because you'd mentioned that point at the, very, at the outset, I want to say, about mm-hmm. her parents. Right. So, do you want to mm-hmm. do you want to tie that in then with her parents, like saying, "I just." I, I mean, well, just I don't want to. I don't want to be a Freudian and try to sure, psychoanalyze sure. Okay. that or anything. Yeah, yeah. But I just. But, but the idea. But the, of... I, I, just in general, the fact that she didn't seem to have a family life, I think, right. shows that she didn't. Well, like for example, she. I mean, so what do you make of the fact, Ayn Rand, that biologically, sex is other directed, not just towards your 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 partner, let's say, yeah. but towards uh, offspring? Well, I'll tell that she was very pro-abortion. Okay. Um and. You know, you can be pro-abortion. That's something we can debate. But she also really didn't understand biology because you can. She she says, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> you're, you're there's DNA in skin cells. There's DNA in hair. There's DNA okay. in right, right, right. fingernails. So the fact there's DNA in a yeah. fetus doesn't mean it's a person. Yeah. Well, yes, I yes, Mrs. Re- Mrs. O'Connor. <laughs> you know, but yeah. but it's a separate set of DNA. Right? Yes. Yeah. That tells yeah. you that it's a different. It's different than your body. Yeah, it's right? not one body part among many. And and, yeah. and even even your comment about where does life come from? Interestingly, she apparently didn't believe in evolution. I don't know what she believed in instead, but she just okay. she just didn't seem to know that much about science, which is where in a classical Catholic education, you could probably in biology class talk about all yeah. the problems uh, with Ayn Rand. And even the fact that mammals and other animals are sort of willing in some cases to die. They seem yeah. to be built to, to sacrifice themselves for their children. Uh, right. And even for in some cases for their herd. Um, yeah. That's a whole separate thing in itself there. But I, I really think that was part of it was that she, the fact that she herself 
wasn't willing to admit what she had received from her parents and from her own culture because yeah. the, the there there is something of the uh, of that orthodox russian severity to her i would say right, right. um it's interesting because one of her professors actually when she was doing her philosophy degree um was actually Lossky, the the great orthodox uh oh, okay. theologian yeah. but he was i think taken he was I think he was kicked. He was taken out of his post by the Soviets. Okay. And therefore, he wasn't able to keep teaching her. But she was one of his students at one point. Okay. And you do wonder if it hadn't been for the communists, right, uh, maybe right. she could. Maybe she could have put her her uh, steely, uh, mm. icy intellect in the service of orthodox theology rather than right. uh, rather yeah. than atheism and, and materialism. materialism. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, she is she is obviously it's interesting. This particular copy I have here. Uh, if you notice on the back, it's labeled uh, as uh, religion and spirituality. Yeah. Uh, which maybe, I don't know if that was a mistake yeah. on the part of the uh, bookseller, but, yeah. it, well, it wasn't a mistake in my opinion. It is right. a new kind of religion. Yeah. And, and you're saying her not, the willingness not to um, account for uh, factors in biology amongst, amongst humans and uh, mammals and so on. Well, but she is in that, that postscript, that, that, that Straussian <laughs> remark, that P.S. Daniel Brandon is no longer associated that is that's acknowledging though so so it's is this this mark on one's soul right that mm -hmm. that this being torn discord and all the rest so so mm -hmm. it, it can, some things just can't be denied uh, in terms of realism or reality or objectively okay now if you sure. want to tie this then um all all together and close your remarks well, one thing that stands out to me is generosity so, so thinking, going back to the car episode, well, you know, I was somewhat, I wasn't necessarily overly generous in, in donating my car to the Kidney Foundation, but certainly God abundantly blessed me with, mm. with this monetary reward. Uh, I, I remember back when I was in my old neighborhood, we, we donated some money, and there was a gentleman down the street who is from Iraq, and he was uh, trying to get rid of some furniture. He tried many, many times on, on different... Uh, apps and so on nothing worked he was frustrated so he says I'm just gonna put it on the front of my driveway I'm gonna give it away and my wife was just driving by right at that time and lo and behold hey there's some nice new furniture for us mm -hmm. uh, and, and then around uh, that time as well Christmas uh, we were donating some money uh, for for different charities and you can go through and, and look at the, the causes and so on well that Christmas we got the exact same figure gifted to us this is from our in-laws mm -hmm. but it, it was just it was a reminder that god sees he's like i see you i see what you're mm -hmm. doing this is mm -hmm. a reminder that i see what's happening mm -hmm. and i'm just going to acknowledge that right so so that that um generosity that we try to imitate in our lives uh that that the incarnation demonstrates i mean who, mm -hmm. who in the heavenly realm wants to come down here mm -hmm. and spend time on mm -hmm. planet earth it's cold right uh, like I said, it's gonna warm okay, up sure. in a couple months but in any case or it can be too hot right mm. or it can be discomforting but no he becomes one of us pours himself out so as, as um, paul tells us he although he's rich he became poor for our sake mm -hmm. right and this is a great act i thank you lord for doing that because this is the um, and, is, and as much as we can be drawn into this uh, theosis, this divinization, this, this imitation of Christ in this, in this divine sense and human sense as well, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, this, this is um, our fulfillment. This is what mm -hmm. it's all about, is mm -hmm. it not? So, um, okay. Uh, um, and, that's, and that's what raises us to be higher than the angels, as we've discussed right, in our, right, right, our right. previous four-part podcast on the angels, if you want to listen to that. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, do you have any closing remarks then? Or? Well, um... 
I would say a, a couple of, well, I'll say a couple things this in passing. One sure. is, um, if you're, I, I am willing to see value in, uh, in Marx and Machiavelli and Nietzsche. I'm able to read these guys and say they are dangerously wrong, but there's something interesting that they're onto. Yep. I am willing to grant that to Ayn Rand too. Like yeah. you said, all of those things, there's, there's things that are refreshing about her. There's things where she's right, I think, in spite of herself. Um, and like you said, there is, there's a fundamental hatred of evil, including the evils that she saw in, in the Soviet Union. I think right. you have to understand a lot of it that, and I think that really colored her. The fact that she got locked into this dichotomy between the individual and the collective was because that was the way maybe people were thinking at the time. Communism maybe caused that to happen to her. But, uh, there's one essay she writes about what she read about some university students who were sort of unjustly tried and executed by the Soviet regime. And it's very unlike her normal strident tone. There's a real melancholy to it. Okay. She, she actually says, and she very seldom says this, she says, because normally she's like, if you don't agree with me, you're just stupid. But where she says, even if you're not an objectivist, you just need to hear me on this, that like, this is the kind of tragedy that communism has wrought. And that's right. what I'm standing against. And there is, you're, you're right, there is a, the fact that she, she takes so much relish, first of all, in the glory of human creation. Um, there is something to that if we see that as a participation in God's divine creation, sub-creation, you know, as Tolkien would say, which yeah. is not just limited to art, um, but yeah. even, and again, I will maintain, she is a better writer than people give her credit for. I, I have shown people the first page of The Fountainhead without telling them what it is, and they've been very impressed with it. She, she's not bad at English prose for someone for whom English was not their first language. Uh, so there's value to her, if you, and you can read her through a Christian lens and distill things from her. And I think, as I mentioned to you, the fact that uh, Steve Ditko was inspired by Iron Ranch to create superheroes like Spider-Man oh, right. yeah. and uh, Iron Man. I think in a future episode we'll talk about how to read how to read a movie allegorically. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that and is, maybe yes. we can talk at that point about how philosophy is embedded in art. And I actually owe that to her too. Her book, The Romantic Manifesto, she talks about how every art embodies a philosophy, and that includes architecture, that includes dance, right. music. Um, this, this and so style of writing reflects a certain philosophy, whether you have a benevolent universe view or a malevolent universe view. Yeah. And even though I don't really agree with her, I, I do owe it to her for getting me to start thinking about that. Right. Uh, that architecture has a philosophy. That's what the, the Fountainhead is about, the philosophy of architecture. And she doesn't like a Gothic architecture, and I love it. But she's the first one to get me thinking about that, that, okay. that, that a, a building is a sermon in stone. Yeah. Uh, I, owe, I owe that to her. So she's worth, in a mature... Uh, spiritually mature way she's worth carefully engaging with at the same way some of these other philosophers are but she is ultimately a cautionary tale because she does think that humans can completely conquer nature and one of the images she uses to depict that in atlas shrugged yeah. is the cigarette ah. she says look at this like this is fire you know this would have terrified the ancients and the cavemen and here i am just holding it in my hand yeah ayn rand dies of lung cancer because <laughs> okay. of her inveterate smoking habit. Right, right. So uh, again, there's a bit of there's there's a bit of the serpent, I think, in the in the garden there. You will not surely die. Right. right? You right. you can be like a god and you can rule the world. Yeah. Um, well, she tried that and and it did end in death for her. Uh, really, the way to be like God is to be like Christ. Right. Yeah. And and that's the true theosis and the true divinization. And it does come in carrying the cross and denying yourself. And in so doing, finding yourself in Christ. Well, uh, that's, that would be my last word on that subject. So. Okay. Well, maybe this close in prayer. Absolutely. In the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son into this world to bring us to new life. Through his cross and resurrection, we thank you for the self-emptying gift of mm -hmm. new life. The new life we have 
In his holy name, we pray your blessing upon us that we may grow in love of you and love of neighbor and so come to share in your glory and your love for us. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. Isidore, pray for us. Pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.